Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in and welcome to another episode of the Great Canadian BJJ Show. This time I'm joined by my guest and good friend, Jiu-Jitsu Brown Belt, Christine Fader. Christine tells the entire story of winning the Masters World Championships in 2019 in Las Vegas, advice for your first tournament experience, hear how she first learned about martial arts through the movie The Karate Kid and what her first impressions of it were, starting out training in Muay Thai at Fit Plus MMA and what got her interested to try Jiu-Jitsu, what injuries she suffered in her first ever jiu-jitsu class warm-up, what it was like rolling with the legend Hobson Mora, the challenges of being a female in a male-dominated sport, advice that she got from a sports psychologist, where she trained when she was in San Diego, and the etiquette that she uses when visiting a number of academies around North America. We covered a lot of ground in this conversation, so I'm going to split it up into two episodes with part two coming next week. Thanks a lot for joining me, Christine. And don't forget to check out my sponsor, Akiro, for the best geese and no-gi attire. That's I-K-I-R-O dot C-A. And you can use the promo code Akiro Presley for 15% off. Now let's get into the episode. So joining me today is my good friend and training partner for almost 10 years. She's the only female brown belt in Atlanta, Canada. She coaches kids in adult classes at Halifax BJJ. She's the Masters World Champ, Christine Fainer. Hi, Josh. How's it going? Good. Did you get to train or work out today? Uh, I did a little uh, kettlebell workout today, and then I went uh, rollerblading on the oval. Oh, nice. Cool. <laughs> it's yeah. rough with this current lockdown in Nova Scotia. It's pretty much probably the strictest lockdown. Yeah, it's it's pretty intense, and I'm. it's like nobody really kind of wants to break the rules either because they're handing out tickets like candy. Yeah, for sure. How would you say you've adjusted your training like through these lockdowns? Are you able to kind of motivate yourself every day to do something? I know I'm, I can get through like some body weight stuff, but I feel like I pretty much got a 15, 20 minute max in me for workouts that aren't jujitsu. Yeah, it's really hard because um, nothing gives you that sort of same feeling um, in terms of like mental tiredness and physical tiredness. So a lot of times I get really bored with working out, but um you know, at 40 now, I know that if I kind of stop moving, like that's, that's, it's harder to get moving again. So I think really my motivation is not to lose everything that I've worked so hard to get and to kind of maintain it. So that's where I'm kind of focusing on injury healing and, you know, keeping up some level of fitness so I don't die when we get to train again. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. What that's uh, kind of a good question. What do you think the best way to kind of study jiu-jitsu off the mats do you think books watch matches watch instructional content um, a couple of the a couple of those what do you think is the best way to study off the mats um so i think it depends on on you as a person and what you're studying for so if i'm studying for myself um i take inspiration from a lot of women's matches um i do tend to uh follow certain players that I like their style and I like, like the moves they're doing. So, um, I'll, I'll kind of get inspiration from then. And then also myself, if I'm running into trouble or I'm, I'm not executing something properly, I'll go and find or seek information like instructionals that will give me that information. So, you know, I've been really liking a lot of Lachlan Giles stuff. He breaks down a lot of leg lock stuff really easily um, I just like his style of teaching. It's not that his techniques, I think, are totally different. I think it's more about connecting with the teaching style that you like the most. So, um, and then if I'm teaching, it's like sometimes you have to learn stuff because you want to 
teach it to a class. Um, so I guess then I'm, I'm just looking for information to give my students because, you know, you can probably relate when you're instructing all the time, you know, you get kind of comfortable just teaching your game, but my game is not everybody's game and it really shouldn't be either. So trying to expose them to different alternatives or different ideas. So that kind of motivates me too. Yeah, no, I think that's all, all really good points. And yeah, you can get totally locked into kind of teaching your own game. And it's like when you're an instructor, you almost kind of have to become a master of everything. Because like you said, not everyone's going to have the same tendencies or same moves as you. It's kind of like once you get to a certain point, everyone kind of knows the moves. You know, like if me and you roll, like we're probably not really going to catch each other by surprise. We know all the same moves. It's just kind of how you put those moves together. And when it comes to, to learning, it's just like whoever can kind of get their point across the best to you. So yeah, I think that's all, all really good points. Yeah. And I think um, one of the things I've been working on as an instructor is trying to say less, but conveying more. And that's one thing I always admire with really amazing instructors is I find the people that can get their point across in the quickest like time in the easiest way. Like they're, they're the best teachers. Cause I, I don't like people that, go on for 25 minutes <laughs> yeah no, i i i like i like to know even if they have really good information but and but it's it's like sometimes you just need that really quick kind of like direct delivery that breaks everything down really easily and then you're just like oh okay and then you can ask questions from there but i think uh i think too with beginners and fundamentals that's mostly what i teach so I'm trying to keep their, their attention spans. Yeah, exactly. And people's attention spans are really quite short. So if you can keep it short and sweet, especially with the beginner's class, I think that's, that's definitely great. What about, what about yourself? Uh, tell me, tell me where you grew up and if you were into kind of any sports as a kid and if martial arts was really like a thing when you were growing up, like how did you kind of first hear about martial arts? Tell me about that. Okay, so um, probably martial arts, the only thing that because I'm an 80s baby. So Karate Kid was like the only thing that I knew about in terms of martial arts. And to be honest, like growing up as a little kid, I probably thought it was kind of goofy. They just seemed to wear like weird outfits and nothing. It, it just didn't seem very applicable, you know, to to real life stuff. Not that I'm out looking for a fight, but I don't know, it just seemed kind of goofy. So I played soccer as a child soccer and I did um, swimming and I was very competitive with both of those. Um, and then it, as I got older, um, kind of fell off the, the sort of competition wagon of sporting. I kind of just always liked to be in shape. So I ran and I did surfing and I tried yoga. I was always like searching for something to really dive into. Like I was into soccer. Um, I also, you know, as a woman, as a young woman, women weren't really encouraged to uh, make sports or athletics a career. So you were kind of like, once you hit 16, 17, if you weren't on an Olympic track, it was kind of like, okay, I think it's time for you to go get a job. So anyways, back, back in my 20s, just kind of floated around. And, uh, and then I had a bad breakup. And I 
had a friend who was training at a gym and she was doing kickboxing and she seemed to really like it. And at that time I switched jobs and I had a more flexible schedule and I was like, you know what, I really want to learn something. So I started with Muay Thai and that was a really great workout and it was really fun, but I'd always see the jujitsu people rolling and, and doing classes and they seem to have like a lot of fun. And, and it totally blew my mind that these people rolling on the round on the ground, which really looked like nothing. It was like a big white belt class. It just looked like really aggressive hugging um, that they would even know what to do. And, ha- and it just, I don't know, the whole learning process of it really fascinated me. So I don't know, I decided to join that. And then I got hooked in the competitive scene and kind of the rest is history, so to speak. But in terms of martial arts, too, the only other thing I remember growing up was when my um, older brother, he started watching The Ultimate Fighter, like back in the day when it was like a boxer versus a wrestler or, you know, they had like random martial arts paired against each other. It was like not even considered ultimate fighting it was cage fighting. And I just remember being so brutal, but I didn't really have an interest in it. It was just kind of like one of those sideshow freak things. So that's kind of like uh, my my knowledge and introduction into martial arts. But you know, I'm glad that I I'm glad that I thought it was interesting and and took the plunge to do jujitsu. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely interesting, especially seeing it body kid and then seeing some cage fighting and then finally like coming across jujitsu. Do you remember much about your first actual jujitsu class? Um, so yeah, my first actual jujitsu class was kind of like a women's only thing. Very first time I like got on a mat. Um, and we learned, of course, like Americanas. And I remember being at the gym and at the time there was TJ Grant was there. He was training for a UFC fight and there's all these like big guys around who were really into the MMA scene. So that was kind of like the gym I was at was more MMA focused. And, uh, and I don't know, it just, I, I still wasn't convinced that I was going to really like it, I guess I was just more interested. Um, and my first class class that I did with, with other people, I think I hurt my shoulder in a front roll and <laughs> I was just like, totally, I, I, I literally used to come home and cry to my roommate when I first tried jujitsu because I knew how bad I was. And I would come home and I would say like, Literally, I'm the worst person in the history of jujitsu to do jujitsu. Like everybody that's learning the moves is practicing them on me in a live role. And like, I can't do them at all. But for some reason, I just, the harder it was, the more I just decided I wasn't going to give up. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Cause I think brain, the more that you realize, like everybody has bad days, even the best people. And I mean, me and you are come with a couple of the more senior people at the gym but i remember definitely a lot of the same experience you go in for the class and you just you literally lose to every single person or you just get submitted by everybody and then you're just like on the way home or whatever just like like like, what am i doing with my free time like i could be literally doing anything and i'm just going (laughs) getting like tapped out but if you really do believe just kind of like in the process and believe in the path and just know like you just got to put the work in just like anything any other sport like lebron james puts up a crazy amount of shots or moves or whatever he does he doesn't just go out and just magically do it right like it's it's all about putting the work in but i think it's important for people to know that everybody has bad days in training 
Yeah. And I think, um, too, especially for small people, I mean, sometimes it's, it's interesting just like talking about women, but, um, I don't, I actually think like it's small people that have the toughest experiences and small, smaller men and, and women have the, the same, they go through the same things. But one of the things that, um, you know, being a small person, you learn a move, but your technique is nowhere near a hundred percent and you cannot overcome size without near perfect technique. So it takes you longer to apply what you're learning in class on people. And, and I tried to explain it to someone one time because they were really tall and pretty strong and they could just like learn a move and do it. And I was like, imagine going to class every day and having someone like tell you, this is going to work. This is going to work. And you can never do it to anyone, though. But you still believe that it's it's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like, you just have to have this sort of like blind faith. And then one day it does. And then it clicks and your technique is better and it can overcome the size and the leverage of maybe someone bigger or maybe just even on someone your own size or maybe you find someone smaller, but one day you get it to work. And it, that's really a rewarding feeling, actually. Definitely. And I think said there too, like, I think that's a good, a good reason to put a lot of the beginners in like situational training. Cause if you just let them roll, like, like how many beginners like white belts in the first couple months, do you see like snap on like triangles submissions like that and are able to technically finish them? It takes, it's, it's really takes a lot of time to develop those skills. So I think if you start people off, like say in half guard or on the back or, or give them kind of a little bit of an advantage one way or another, it gives them a lot of, a lot of time in those areas to get better. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it, I don't actually believe that jujitsu is taught in the best way. You know, it's kind of unfortunate how it's set up. Um, you kind of just join in kind of wherever your instructor is teaching and you're hoping that you kind of get something from it. And a lot of times, you know, depending on the school, like if you're at a, like, we're very lucky at our school that we have like very solid fundamentals program where it's mostly white belts, basically under two stripes in these classes. So you can really kind of like um, explain and hammer down and go slower. Um, But some people start, in classes where they're training with like purple and blue belts and more advanced people. And it's like, they're trying to understand some really uh, advanced techniques and theories and they don't even understand the basics. So, you know, I, I, I feel for people sometimes when they, they come in and they're really frustrated and maybe they can only make an advanced class um, or a class that's they shouldn't be in and they're trying all this stuff, but really they need to be like, they, they need to really start at the beginning. Um, and it's hard as an instructor to make sure that everybody learns all those basics too. It's kind of a weird system. Like Totally. And I think it definitely could be taught better. Like, cause I mean, really the way jujitsu is taught, most people just teach based on the way that their instructor taught. So they just kind of copy what they've learned, right? Like people go to school for years to learn how to teach, right? And then people like, I don't admittedly like really know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to kind of try shit out, right? Like with my classes, I'm just willing to try different stuff is the thing with me. Like I'm, I obviously the way that I started, I just copied what my instructor did with the warm ups and the the techniques and the rolling. But I'm just a little bit more open-minded, I think, than like that.
jujitsu instructor and I'm like, okay, like I'll, I'll kill the warm up. Now we're just going to do techniques, trying to work in like more positional drills, but I'm, I'm just willing to, to try different stuff. And, and I think it keeps it fun. I think people enjoy that type of stuff, but I, I agree. Like the average jujitsu class, I think people could kind of try to look outside the box a little bit. And I think they can prove, improve a lot just on the overall like class structure. Yeah. I mean, one thing that was really interesting from a, from a teaching perspective, we in Nova Scotia, when we first opened back up um, after the first lockdown, we were allowed to train, but we had very small, tiny training groups. And so you had the same instructor with the same training group consistently for like a couple months. And so it was really actually fun to have this consistent group of people that I taught to and um, teach them and work off of every single class. And because I knew that they had been to the class before and everyone was attending because there were so few classes, you just really didn't want to miss anything. And really anyone who uh, experienced that kind of bubble training, they all said that their jujitsu improved so much. Didn't matter whose bubble they were in, but everybody enjoyed it. Even though they missed the rest of the school, it was kind of like that small group really working off of each class. It was, it was really, uh, it was neat to see people's jujitsu get so much better in a quicker amount of time. I felt. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think it just kept people committed to a schedule. So they, they were like, okay, this is my only time to train is these three specific time slots per week. So they really feel like they had to, had to do it. And I can totally relate to, to like when you're teaching, especially, for a while there, I was teaching in the mornings and then teaching evening classes like multiple times per week. And you, you can just tell, especially for a lot of the evenings, because it's people kind of just come coming and going. But it's tough to really build a game if you go in, say, say you're a student and you go in Thursday night and you're doing close guard. OK, and then you take a week off and you go in maybe like the next Friday and then you're doing um, something unrelated, like you're doing a takedown. Well, that's not really close guard and takedowns aren't really super related. So that's going to be tough to kind of link those together. I always feel like you should try to look at your jiu-jitsu like a chain. Yeah. And it's, um, I, yeah. And that's the whole problem with jiu-jitsu too. It's like, it's hard for people to, um, have committed schedules that kind of come when they can. And then it's also hard for the instructor to, you know, kind of, um, make sure, or at least the instructors of the school and make sure everyone's kind of getting a well-rounded, jujitsu thing jujitsu program to make sure that everyone's covering all their bases and then i also think people too naturally in the beginning you like what you're good at like most people don't like to do things they're not good at so you know you're going to kind of gravitate towards the stuff like oh i really i don't like being on top or i don't like sweeping so um wait who doesn't like sweeping? I mean, I don't like takedowns. So I, I'm just going to stay on the bottom. You know what I mean? Um, and work my sweeps or versus like someone who's like, no, I like, I like to um, get on top and just pass kind of thing. Totally. So, I think people just get so comfortable with their guard too, that they just like, they get on top and they're like, well, I'll just go to the bottom. That's where I'm comfortable. Yeah. The but kind of going back more to like your earlier training days, I guess. Do you remember the first person in jiu-jitsu that's, that really whooped you like in like a technical way, not just like, like tried to break your bones. But do you remember the first person that you were like, like, Oh, this is a real different level of jujitsu. Yeah, I do actually. Um, okay. The first person to really whoop me was nasty. Nate. 
uh, <laughs> our old training prime, Nate O'Brien. Um, but no, the first person to uh, really technically do- like dominate me actually was a uh, Hobson Mora. I had been training for like um, like two or three months, and he came and did a seminar. And he he would roll with everyone, and he's smaller than I am. He was probably like 140 pounds at the time. And I just remember rolling with him was like falling and into quicksand while he climbed all over me. Like literally everywhere I put my my hand or my foot was like he either used it against me or used it for me to sort of fall over and take my back. Like it was just like there was nothing I could do. And it wasn't aggressive. It wasn't um, it was just playing around with me like playfully like it was crazy yeah and and I think I really um appreciated that because it was fun it wasn't like it wasn't awful it wasn't like me getting smothered and you know and I mean there's nothing against like a heavy pressure game but just the his style and the way that he kind of like toyed with me and would let me kind of get a few things but then all of a sudden no I'd be right in a bad spot and you know, it was, it was really fun and it was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. Like literally he was using my whole body against me and my weight. <laughs> yeah. That's Just cool. Like, yeah. Have you ever got to train in any other province outside of Nova Scotia? And if so, what was that like? Yeah. I mean, I've got to um, travel and train a little bit. When I was a white belt, I actually, uh, I was like a four-stripe white belt and I traveled to California. So I got to train at um, Solo Ribeiro's, Ribeiro's gym down there. And I also trained at another gym outside of San Diego. Um, and that was pretty cool. I uh, I didn't really know much about um, jujitsu gyms at that time. So I just kind of picked Solo Ribeiro's because I had a book by him, the jiu-jitsu university um and he was very very friendly and very very welcoming which most people are in jiu-jitsu when you're traveling um and then i've been training oh i i've been to um orlando i did or sorry not orlando tampa in florida i went to hobson moore's gym and trained there and that was a great experience lots of really technical small people um and then in new york i've been to um I've been to Marcelo Garcia's gym. I've been to Emily Kwok's gym um, outside of New York and Princeton, New Jersey. Um, and, you know, some local gyms in Nova Scotia and stuff. But I traveling with jiu-jitsu is lots of fun. And I highly recommend it. Definitely, yeah. How would you say, how would you compare, like, the level of jiu-jitsu in Nova Scotia compared to all these other gyms that you've experienced? You know, I have to say, so traveling down to other places, you're always a little bit nervous because you you don't know what to expect. Um, I'm a big believer in etiquette. And when I travel to I'm, I'm not trying to prove myself. So whenever I go into a gym, I go in with a really open mind. And because I'm there to learn, and I'm not there to make a statement about my belt level or color or anything. I'm just there to have some fun. So my roles when I go, I'm often just trying to, you know, try some things. And I don't often go for the kill or the submission. I'm, I kind of match the pace of whoever I roll with. So if they come at me hard, I'll, I'll return that. But if they kind of are a little more chill, I'll be chill as well. Um, but no, I'm always impressed. I never feel 
I never feel outshined. I never feel out of my league. I never feel unprepared. I've always felt like my jujitsu um, in Nova Scotia has served me very well, like wherever I've been. And um, I've always not to say like been competitive, but yeah, I've, I've always felt comfortable. And I think that's like when I travel in Nova Scotia, it's the same thing. Like everyone's jujitsu is pretty good here. Yeah, I think so too. Any any other gyms that I've trained at and experienced, I always feel like like the the level of blue belts and purple belts around here is quite comparable to any of like the major or any other gyms I've trained at outside the country. Yeah, I think the only the only like sad part about living in a more rural place like this is that, you know, come like big competition time, I just think we lack the experience and sort of the the depth of kind of competition knowledge that bigger places are exposed to like New York and Florida and California. Um, and cause competition really is a skill. It's not necessarily um, any different jujitsu. It's just uh, you, you, it's a skill and it takes practice to get really good at it. And oh, I just yeah. think, I just think like in Nova Scotia and, and the Maritimes in general, we just lack that kind of constant um, competition experience. And competition really brings a different type of intensity. And really, that's a good segue into my next question. Do you remember much about your your very first tournament experience? I do. <laughs> it was at the Abaya Open. Um, I can't remember the year. What, maybe 2013, 2014. And I had been training since really like actually doing jujitsu since like the January of that year. Although I probably started rolling in December, but I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and I cut weight for a local tournament, which I'll never do again. And I lost like 10 pounds in the few months leading up to it. And I don't, that was really difficult for me because I was pretty skinny. And then I got there and it didn't matter. So that kind of sucked. Um, and yeah, it was crazy. There was no weight class, no belt classes. We had a blue belt. It mixed in with us, one or two blue belts, and then um, mostly white belts, all sizes, all levels. But it was really fun, and I'm glad that I did it that early. It just kind of got it out of the way. I didn't medal or place or anything like that. I think I lost three and won, won a couple. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest thing that it showed me was that I, I – could do it and I didn't give up ever so even if I got tapped out or I lost the one of my matches I I never stopped fighting in the moment which I think you know just proved to me mentally that I could do it and then you know the physical not even the physical but the technique side would come yeah absolutely and I mean you gotta you gotta get that competition experience in like you said and you competed a lot through the the lower belts. I mean, you've gone through all like the the highs and lows of competition. And like I said at the start, you uh, you did it all and won the Masters Worlds, and that was really awesome. Um, what tell tell me about that? Like from like when when did you actually decide that you were you were going to go and and do it? And just tell me about like that whole event and that experience. Yeah, so that was probably like two years ago. It's hard to believe. Like COVID has has really messed up my. Um timeline in my brain but um yeah I knew I wanted to do master worlds um I think I was 38 at the time purple belt 
been a purple belt for a little bit. I actually had wanted to do Master Worlds before, but tournaments are expensive. And uh, and also, I do like traveling with a team. So, you know, at that point, a lot of my teammates were not Masters uh, teammates and couldn't go. And um, anyway, so yeah, I... I decided to do that and I probably started preparing about like almost six months before just like mentally I think the first step is the mental preparation to kind of like wrap your brain around what you're going to do and then you know the physical side working out just being very consistent with training having a very consistent schedule um, you know diet exercise sleep all that good stuff and then um, and then just you know, at Purple Belt, I felt like my game had come together. I had pretty much an answer for everywhere. So I didn't really feel like I needed to practice anything in particular. And mostly it was trying not to get injured. And then you and I actually flew down uh, with your now wife, Kathleen. And uh, it kind of sucked because we once, like right before we got there, the brackets were released and you were at the beginning of the week and I was at the end of the week so I was there for you but you guys had to leave so I had to compete alone which really it, and I, it was good and it was bad competing alone you can really focus on yourself and there's no pressure no one's there um, you get to kind of feel like the underdog which I really like competing as the underdog I like when people don't know who I am um, but there's also sort of this sense of loneliness like that you just really don't have a team <laughs> to like cheer you on or or talk to between matches. So, um, so yeah, I came second in my division and, uh, I lost the, the match I lost. I let the, the girl I lost to the woman I lost to dictate it. And I let her get her grips. I kind of didn't break her grips like I should have. Um, I kind of was reacting. I was behind. So, I decided to do the open weight because you know what? I flew all that way and spent all that money and did all that, spent all that time waiting around. So open weight and I just kind of took it one match at a time. I won my first and then I went on to the second, won my second. I had nobody there for me. Um, I was kind of texting people um, like Joel and a few other teammates maybe in between. And they just kept being positive with me like, you can do it, buddy. And then before I knew it, I was in like the final gold medal match and it was against the girl I had lost to. And so really, I just set my mind to it, like being like, no, she's not going to get ahead of me and I'm just going to do what I want to do. She was just super aggressive and I chipped my front tooth in that match, which really annoyed me during. (laughs) So I just remember like feeling the chip in my mouth and being like, oh, and then, uh, but I just remember being really focused on what I needed to do and not let her get ahead of me and trying to dictate the pace. And yeah, when I won, it was, um, it was a really special moment. It just felt like, uh, it just felt like a whole many years of hard work, like coming together and that moment. And it also felt like, which is kind of weird. I don't ever feel like I have to prove myself, but as a woman, sometimes people don't take you as seriously in terms of like teaching or maybe that your accomplishments aren't as good as your teammates who are male. And I just kind of felt like in that moment, like, no, like, like, okay, like I proved it not only to other people, but to myself. I'm like, yes, I can do this. I'm, I'm good. (laughs) So I don't know that it was a special moment, but it it sucked. I really wish people could have been there. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, that's awesome. You're, you're my hero. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got the silver and the bronze from the worlds, but I'm just missing, missing the gold, but I'm glad that you, you can got get it. it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it yet. But yeah, I can definitely relate to going to tournaments alone because I mean, when I was doing a lot of competing in IBJJF, especially I went to the worlds in 2009, 2010, 2011. And by the time I went in 2011, uh, there was no teammates that went with me. I met up with a friend, John Thomas, who was training at Alliance Atlanta at the time. But I literally just like messaged him. I was like, hey, man, I don't have uh, anyone corner me or anything. And he was like, oh, man, we got we got space for you. So I actually stayed stayed with him and split costs and stuff that way. But he was there and cor- cornering me for my matches. And I think Ryan Hall might have been there cornering me also for the final. But but like you said, it, it is kind of in a way like it, it sucks. You want to have the whole team there. In a lot of ways, I almost like local co- competitions more. My family's not going to be able to go to California to watch Worlds and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But but in the way that jiu-jitsu is like a solo thing and and like you, you really got to believe in yourself. Like when it comes, if you don't think you're, you can win, you're not going to win. Mm-hmm. If you can go out there and compete. And I had done it a couple times before that. It's not like Worlds was the only competition that I'd been to, like, solo. But I think just, like, the the mental aspect of it and, like, really visualizing, I think that's something that, I, that I've always done, just kind of, like, picturing yourself there and doing well and winning matches. And, like, in my head, I'd already been been in the finals at Worlds because in my, in my head, like, I, I knew I was going to do it. I knew I was going to win. I knew I was going to be in the final. So I think just kind of, like, going that, going over that in your mind, like, over and over and over again and like you're going to picture yourself submitting people and getting on their backs and sweeping them. Like, it's almost like that's not as good as being in the gym doing the reps, but it's like all that kind of mental aspect of it that I think some people overlook. Yeah. And I think it's like, it's, I remember one time I got this really good advice about competing and I I had um, met a just randomly at my work, uh, a sports psychiatrist, or a psychiatrist that specialized almost in sports stuff. And he said to me, one of the things that will help you is if you stop focusing on the outcome, like you have to be okay with not losing. You have to be okay with winning. You have to be okay with not performing. You have to be okay with anything that can happen. And so in my mental preparation, I'm not only like I would think about winning, but I also would think about, okay, if I don't win, I'm okay with that. But I'm still going to try super hard. Like I'm going to put all the pieces together to make sure that I can win. And some of that, like taking the pressure off myself, because when you're when you're um, competing, especially at these high levels, like sometimes the pressure that we put on ourselves to win is is a lot. And and I think sometimes you have to. Yes, it's about winning, but it's also about being okay with either outcome and not being afraid to lose. You know what I mean? Like, don't ever be afraid to lose, you know, because sometimes then you become fearful and you maybe don't do certain things because you're like, oh, you know, could I, should I go for that armbar from close guard? Because I might get my guard passed, but maybe that's your like really good move. Maybe you should just go for it, you know? So I don't know if I'm making any sense or not, but yeah, no, I get what you mean. Like you can totally be frozen by the fear. Yes. It's almost like you got to find the balance for yourself of like, of like, yeah, like you're, you're going to go out there. You could, you could hypothetically fall on your face and, and lose and get submitted or whatever. But I mean, that happens to everyone. Like I'm pretty sure you said you lost multiple matches in your first competition and so did I. Right. So I think you kind of have to go through 
all that experience. And like you said, in your mind, you have to be okay with, with losing. I mean, obviously everyone wants to win. If you're not, if you're in a competition and you don't want to win, I don't know why you're there, <laughs> Yeah. but, but yeah, you have to be all right with the outcome. And it, uh, also that plays into like sportsmanship and, you know, respecting your opponent and you don't want to be one of those people that loses and you're, you're throwing a fit and on the mat. But, but yeah, I think it's like, it's a couple different factors that you get away when it comes to, comes to the mental aspect of competition. What about, what about if you had say, say a white belt or a blue belt that was coming to you and they were say maybe a year or two in and they were telling you that they, they wanted to do their first competition. They've never competed before. They, they don't know anything about it. What are some things that you would tell, to tell them to do for like the, the physical preparation and the, the mental preparation? Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously we help people get ready for competitions all the time, anywhere from like kids to adults and masters and, you know, all kinds of people. And I think the biggest thing, like, first of all, you have to understand that it's going to take a little extra work. So if you're just expecting to compete because of based off of your current, like, training schedule, that's probably not, you're probably going to have not a good outcome. So you have to be willing to put in the work and you have to be willing to be self, willing to be self-critical and take, um, take some constructive criticism from people um, and, and work on your, you know, your, your good points and your bad points. So, you know, in terms of like, uh, you know, you should have a, you should have an answer for something or try to have an answer for something from everywhere. So obviously escapes, I think are really important. Um, hopefully you never have to use them, but you should feel so confident in your escapes that again, you're not afraid to risk anything. That was a problem for me when I was a blue belt and a white belt. I didn't have much of a guard. So I was really scared of being in a guard situation and not being able to sweep. So I would just work to get on top and then I'd be super afraid to get swept and, and get on the bottom that sometimes I wouldn't open up as much to finish my passing or, you know, even go for submissions from top um, in certain spots. So, you know, you should, you should have, try to have an, an equal game and try to have good, um, good escapes and some takedowns and some guard pulls. Um, and then for the mental aspect of it, you know, just, I think, honestly, for me, confidence comes from being prepared. So knowing that I did the work and knowing that I, I didn't, um, you know, slack off in the last little bit. Um, I know sometimes people will get super, super anxious and they think like, oh, I'll just do this for fun and I'll just get out my anxiety. You know, I, I maybe I won't prepare um, as seriously, like, I just want to do this for fun. But to be honest, jujitsu, when you lose, you lose a fight, pretty much. I mean, not like an MMA fight, but you lose sometimes in, in not such a nice way. And it doesn't feel good to lose knowing that you didn't prepare well, like, it actually feels awful. You can tell when you're in over your head. And, you know, you know, it feels better, even if you lose. But it feels better to know that you prepared super well. You had an answer. Maybe it was a really close match. You still lost, but at least you gave it your all. Um, so really, I think like for, for new time people, it's just to expect to put in a lot of work, um, take some criticism, take some advice, um, be dedicated, uh, be willing to not spend time with your family a little bit, uh, give up 
give up some Friday evenings and some Saturday mornings drilling, um, practicing. And, uh, and then in that preparation will come confidence and then you'll probably do better than you expected. That's my advice really. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's great advice. It's like that. Um, I don't know. I think it was on a t-shirt or something like it said, hard, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. It's like that. Yeah. That's actually true. If you don't prepare for a competition and I've seen it, talented uh, grapplers go into competitions and not really train for it and lose, even though they might actually be the best person in the division. But if you don't train for it, it, it doesn't really matter how skilled you are, especially when you're having multiple matches in a day, everyone's going to lose. And often the competition is going to go to whoever, prepared the best and just kind of left no stone unturned and they were doing extra drilling and they were rolling as hard as they could they were putting themselves in bad situations that's the type of preparing you want to do for competition yeah like nothing when i'm preparing i need i really need hard hard rolls i need to be on the bottom i need to get cross-faced i need like my jaw sore because i was defending a choke from the back like i need people to put me in these like not just physically tough but like mentally tough positions too because that will make you stronger in the end as well if you're just like what is it a smooth smooth seas never made a skilled sailor like if you're just like always having easy matches where you beat people up all the time what are you going to do when you get in a situation and you have someone who's stronger than you or you know a little bit just as tough just as hard to beat like you won't know what to do and that's the thing, especially like even with women, people always used to say, oh, you train with men like you're going to smash these girls. And I'm like, now these girls train with men, too. They're just as tough as I am. In fact, maybe even tougher. Like you can never like underestimate your opponents either there. You have to assume that they're training just as hard, if not harder than you are all the time. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. You can't. It can, it's good that that can give you some confidence, but you can't like depend on that and, and, and think that's going to be the, the change in factor. Mm-hmm.